Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Cutting the Curd is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now or else. We mentioned Daphne Zeppos a lot on this show, most recently on our episode with Jason Hines of the Neil's Yard Dairy about effective cheesemongering. For those of you who don't know who Daphne Zeppos was, Daphne was an outspoken advocate for artisan and traditional cheese production and spread her cheese gospel through the American Cheese Society at Slow Foods' biannual festival, Cheese and Bra, and in courses throughout the world, including the Cheese School of San Francisco, Neil's Yard Dairy in London, and Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. She made a lasting impact on the profession of cheesemongering in the U.S. and worldwide. I was fortunate enough to say Daphne was one of my mentors in this business. Um, she picked me up when I was down, gave, um, took a chance on me when no one else would, actually. Um, I was between work, and uh, she picked me up and got me a job at the Essex Cheese Company. Um, I was their first employee, and, uh, and it was really, really a difficult and challenging experience, and it tested the bonds of our friendship. I was lucky enough to call her my friend, and uh, she taught me a lot. You know, um, She was a mentor, I think, to a lot of people. Um, and um, and it was a this was a shame to lose her. Um, unfortunately, Daphne passed away in 2012. But like the visionary she was, Daphne conceived of a scholarship fund dedicated to educating future leaders of the American cheese industry. This scholarship is the Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award, uh, known simply as the DZTA, and it awards recipients five thousand dollars to travel to Europe uh, to immerse themselves in cheese learning and then come back and share their newfound knowledge at the American Cheese Society's annual conference. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. As always, this is your host, Greg Blaze, and today we're interviewing two winners of the DZTA, Tom Perry, the 2015 award recipient and cheesemonger at Potash Market. He's on the line with us from Chicago. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. What's up, buddy? How you doing? (laughs) Good to have you. And then I have I have Sam Frank in the studio with me, this year's DZTA recipient, recipient and prior guest of Cutting the Curd, and an affineur at Crown Finish Caves right here in Brooklyn. Um, congrats, and welcome back to the show, Sam. Thank you very much, Greg. Great to be here. Awesome. The DZTA episode is becoming one of our annual traditions, so if you want to hear more about previous winners, check out episodes 146 with Jess Perry and episode 233 with Emily Sharton and Tom Perry before he headed out in his scholarship travels. So I'd like to start out by asking you, Tom, how did your ACS presentation go? Uh, as far as I know, it went pretty well. I haven't gotten any official feedback, but everybody that was in attendance said uh, that it uh, was pretty well uh, received, and, and people were really digging it. I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards asking me for the written version of the presentation because 
there was a lot of dense knowledge being dumped uh, that session too. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, mean, I was I was there for it, and I would definitely say that it l- exceeded personally my expectations. It was a pretty landmark presentation, and I don't think there's really been anything like it that's preceded it at the American Cheese Society. That's awesome. For those of our listeners oh. who missed your ACS presentation on, or our last DZTA episode, uh, remind us again of your research topic, Tom. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? So for any of our, our listeners that um, that weren't at the ACS or didn't hear our last episode with you, could you tell us what your research topic was? Oh, sure. Sorry about that. No, you're um, good. So, um, so basically my, my, my original vision was uh, to investigate um, uh, cultures or countries that had developed or uh, investigated their native starter cultures, uh, particularly Switzerland, France, and to a degree, the UK, well, the UK, but the ones that really have done a lot of investigation were were, were Switzerland and France, and then how we could use those methods to develop our own native starter cultures. Um, Kind of basing it off of, like, the whole terroir notion that um, the the microbes that you have closer to home are going to play better with the microbes that are found naturally within your milk. So, um, so I... I, uh, I went to those, uh, I went to Switzerland, uh, France, and England, and got to uh, talk with some really amazing people. Um, particularly the folks at Agroscope that do all of the cultures for Swiss Association cheeses, um, and also I visited a research station of INRA, uh, which is one of the French uh, research facilities, uh, particularly the one in Poligny where they do a lot of research with Comte and Lourdes. And then in the UK, I also got to uh, speak with uh, the team at Barbers, who are the ones that um, have propagated and most of the cultures being used by artisan producers in England right now. Awesome. What was the what was the highlight for you? Uh, there are there are a number of highlights. Um, first of all, uh, well, first I started my trip. Well, I started. The whole research project not long after we talked uh-huh. um i went to go visit with like andy hatch yeah. and willie laner up in wisconsin and i was also able to make a couple of trips to um Denisco and chris hansen uh, that also have facilities in wisconsin so i was able to speak with those scientists even though they didn't let me record them they they, they introduced a, a lot of knowledge uh that i i didn't have before and then after that, it was like probably about six months of just hardcore reading, like Cheese and Microbes, uh, by, that was edited by Kathy Donnelly. And then when the Broadwin book, as I like to call it, or, or the, the uh-huh. raw milk uh, microbiology book came out, I, yeah. I devoured that, um, along with a lot of uh, academic papers that were made available to me online through uh, various folks that were like, oh, you should read this. Um, but um, probably. Uh, and then once I actually started the trip, I went to Vermont um, and spent time with Sister Noella. Uh, yeah, that's uh, great. The original loudest, which was, was awesome. And, and you know, she, she was just so generous with her time. She 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 was like, you know, I've got nothing to hide. It's it's been on film twice now. Um, so that was outstanding. 
um, going up to uh, Parish Hill Creamery uh, in uh, West Westminster and uh, talking with Peter Dixon and Rachel Shaw about how they're sourcing their cultures by making their own, essentially. Um, and then from there, going up to Jasper Hill, which are going like the opposite direction and, you know, as opposed to where Peter and Rachel are like, you know, these are cultures. We don't necessarily know what's in them, but they make the cheese that yeah. we're very happy with. Um, and Jasper Hill uh, is, um, they have their own staff microbiologist, Bayer, who Amazing. has been working with Ben Wolf and, uh, and Dr. Dutton, um, Rachel Dutton, uh, to track down uh, microbes that are unique to their land, their facilities, their animals, and their milk, uh, which is pretty cool in its own right that, you know, there's somebody taking that step right now. Yeah, that's um, great. Did you did you find? I research it. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you. Did you find that people were more or less forthcoming with all of that information than you originally thought they would be? Uh, there, especially folks in Europe, were a lot more forthcoming uh, with the information than I thought they would be. Um, the and even at Jasper Hill, you know, they were very very open about what they were what their ends were yeah. and how they were trying to achieve it I, I i don't think that you know it's necessarily public knowledge but they, they were happy to share the information and i was happy to you know share what you know their methodology was if not you know not the exact finding um and 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 i, I thought when i went to go with the agroscope or barbers or inra like uh-huh. it would just be like you can't record us. You, you can't. You can't. You know, ask us these questions. We, we don't want to talk to it. They're yeah. like, oh, ask us whatever you want, and I, I, I and they let me record them as well, which was amazing because you weren't <laughs> it, expecting it really that helpful, at all. Overcoming Could, some of the accents and, and, and stuff, sure, and not losing something in translation. Yeah. Um, were you um, just for just? Could you just explain for our listeners what those facilities or what those places are? Um, as you you know what what they do in terms of your project, the barbers. Um. um so, uh, do you or, mean like Inra and Agriscope? Yes, or? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so Agriscope is like a federal uh, research institution uh, in Switzerland uh, that was set up. Uh, in the mid 1800s, it was initially uh, designed to study viticulture and wheat, as a lot of these initial, like, agricultural uh, science outposts in, in Europe were, were, were meant to do. It was a way to improve output and also to study what, what was, you know, important to them yeah. from a cultural perspective. Um, so, um, and then by around the turn of the you know, century and going into the 20th century, um, especially after the acceptance of germ theory and, you know, better understanding of, like, a microbial world, there was a lot of research that really started getting pushed towards, especially the dairy sciences. Um, so Agroscope, uh, particularly the, the, the station at Leedfield, which is just outside of Barron, they were re- very instrumental, um, particularly, like, uh, Dr. Edward uh, von Freudenreich, Wow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, our, and Dr. Jensen, uh, they, they helped really tamp down a lot of the thermophiles uh, that we use in the cheese making today. And this was in Switzerland around the turn of the century, World War One era. Um, and then INRA uh, was 
in a similar position, but they were disrupted by a couple of world wars. Um, yeah, but, but they, that'll they, happen. They, they made serious strides towards improving and sustaining their own agricultural setups. Um, and then in the 70s is when they really started adding microbiological labs into the mix, um, tracking down what made their cheeses uh, tick, so to speak. Cool. And um, as you as they, as they were forthcoming, did that change the scope of your project for you at all? Did, uh, I mean, as you started to visit and do, and do more research and uh, and talk to those guys, did that change what you thought was possible um, for your research for your own for your own project? Well, I mean, what it did was it, it kind of opened my eyes. It, 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 so the, the conclusion that I came to was the majority of the major acidifying properties. Uh, that we use for, or microbes that we use for cheese have been found. Um, yeah. But there are substrains, and there's obvious evolution that goes on in the microbial world because you really can't fight it. And basically the strains that we're using now are kind of what I'm referring to as like frozen snapshots in time uh-huh. uh, uh, of acidifiers. Like we have these dominant strains that are being propagated and used over and over and over again. And that has its own concern, but you know, so far it's been safe. Um, and the, the, the reason that we're, they're buying and researching still is because um, primarily it's to prevent against uh, bacteriophage, but, you know, it, it also keeps the gene pool, pool robust and, and uh, allows for, you know, a bit more safety uh, sure. on these ends. So. So, I mean, basically anything that we do find right now in terms of its major uh, uses is going to be substrains of the major lactic acid bacteria that we're using now, um, and, and as well as adjuncts and molds and yeast that are, are part of the microbial makeup. Cool. Hey, Sam, well, I always want to keep the gene pool, pool robust. That is, a, <laughs> that is a good thing to do on all levels. Always. Uh, as a cheesemaker and, and a cheese affineur, do you find Tom's research you must find that, and you said that was a landmark presentation at the ACS, so that must just be amazing news to you. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Tom's whole project is essentially trying to build on this notion of American terroir, our own taste of place. Yeah. And there's been so many, so much efforts have been made, you know, as the American artisan cheese industry has continued to grow to producing better quality milk that is more of an expression of the landscape. Um, but then when you are propagating this milk with these commercially produced cultures that come from, you know, uh, you know, the amount of culture producing companies you can count on one hand, you uh-huh. know, like it's a very, uh, very undiverse gene pool there. And, and it's also replacing uh, the native microflora in the milk, which is a true expression of that landscape with these cultures that are found and that are that have been isolated by these labs. So. To me, it's very exciting to even just start this conversation and to see where it goes as the as the American artisan cheese industry continues to grow. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and, and welcome back to the show, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> Super happy to have you here. Our listeners may remember you were also on our show before. Episode 209, all about cheese research and development with Crown Finish Caves and Sugar House Creamery. Uh, it's great to have you back. And your project is related to dairy cows, correct? Yes. Uh, well, my original vision was just about dairy cows, but I, I might uh, be branching out into sheep and goats as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, m- m- kind of. I actually, when I when I wrote my vision, I 
uh, gave a shout out to Tom because, like I said, his whole pres- <laughs> his whole uh, project is trying to build on this notion of American terroir. And so I was inspired by that to pursue something I've been interested in a long time, which is native uh, American heritage breed animals. Excellent. Um, which is something that is not, there's not a lot of information out there about these animals. Um, these are breeds of cows that, um, like such as the American Milking Devon, the Randall Lineback, the Canadian, uh, the Milking Shorthorn. These are all very old breeds that are native to North America that today are in critically endangered of extinction. Um, so there's little efforts being made to repopulate our dairy farms with these traditional dairy breeds um, because, you know, the United States went uh, the way of conventional agriculture. Yep. I mean, we invented it. Um, and so dairy farming is no different in that regard. So, you know, when most people close their eyes and picture a cow, they see a black and white spotted animal. Sure. And that's the Holstein cow. That's just one breed of cow. The milk machine. The milk machine, bred to produce milk yeah. uh, more than any other breed, um, which is great. And, you know, and I, I also just want to make it clear that, like, I am not a dairy farmer. I do not know everything about the business of dairy farming, and I have nothing against people that are milking Holstein cows. Well, that's good because, you know, there were a bunch of guys lined up outside of here. You know, I know, yeah. We're just waiting to, to end you if Bushwick you had said enough. filled with dairy you know, farmers they're, right now. they're right outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, where are you going to travel or what are you going to do to, you know, to further your research to keep these, uh, these breeds going? So, yeah, so my whole idea is to look at, Europe as a model because there's a lot of regions of Europe where they are still milking their traditional breeds that they've been milking for hundreds of years to make their traditional cheeses. And even though, you know, in the last couple centuries, we have these more modern uh, conventional breeds that can produce more milk than their own traditional breeds, but yet they continue to use these old breeds. Um, So in in my original vision, I proposed going to Normandy uh, sure. on the coast of France to look at the Normandy cattle, um, where you know cheeses such as Camembert and Pont Levesque have been made from their milk for centuries. Um, Decent butter too. Not bad butter. Caramels yes. also. Yeah, every everything day. <laughs> um, and then I also wanted to look at the Salers breed oh, sure. uh, in Auvergne, uh, which uh, traditionally they make Salers cheese. And, uh, that's a cheese that's almost extinct, right? That's there. right. And, and real Saint Nectaire as well, yeah. which has traditionally been made from their milk. And sure. That cow in particular, though I at this point don't know much about them, they're incredibly rustic animals, very old world breed that, uh, in fact, even to milk them, they first have to let the calf suckle the mom's teat before she will actually let her milk down for the humans wow. to take to make nice. into cheese. So it's like, I mean, I can't imagine how incredibly long and hard of a process just one of the two daily milking <laughs> sure, is sure. to get enough milk to make cheese. Um, that's some coordination. That's a little bit of logistics. So. Quite a bit. I watched a video one time, and just it was just showing them milking one of the cows, and that entire process took at least like seven or eight minutes, and this was like a herd of 50 cows. Um, So that was another one. Another breed was the Tarantais in the French Alps, which has traditionally been used for uh, Beaufort, Abondance, uh, some Reblochon. All uh, cheeses that are are fleeting. Yes. And these cows are uh, very genetically unique because they've been isolated in that particular part of the French Alps for so long. 
that they are very well bred for that you know particular region of the world um and then next i wanted to go into italy a little bit and i was actually hoping to talk to you more in the future greg about this because uh, i wanted to look at the vaca rosa sure the famous red cow of emilia romagna that parmigiana reggiano traditionally was always made from almost um, disappeared i mean they were down to like three-digit numbers, I right. think, in cows yes. at, at one point. you know. Um, which, I will say, all of the American breeds I noted, they are all in the three digits. Yeah. There's only a, a couple hundred of each of those breeds. And the red cow, I think, is a particularly interesting case because they've essentially built this brand yeah. of Parmigiano-Reggiano around this breed of cow. And it's good cheese, man. Yeah, I mean, and it's great. It's it, an excellent cheese. And I think... You know, in a place like the United States where we are all about branding and marketing, that this is actually kind of a pretty interesting sure. approach that perhaps could be mimicked here is like, how do we build a brand around an animal as opposed to, you know, a cheese maker? We're going to brand cutting the curd. I'm going to have some cutting the curd thongs made up. It's awesome. going to be temp some temporary tattoos. You know? Great, great. <laughs> Everyone loves a good temp tat. No, but seriously, um, yeah, I would love to talk to you about that in the future. And uh, so, Tom, how do you when how do you plan to keep teaching this? You know what you've learned on your trip, even now that your ACS presentation, you know, is is over. So uh, probably uh, uh, I'll probably end up doing the uh, fancy food circuit. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping to uh, do it in San Francisco, uh, New York, as we get closer to that one. Um, obviously, I'd like to uh, present it here in Chicago to our little cheese group that we've got going on um, sooner than that. Um, and pretty much anywhere else that would have me, so to speak. Uh, already thinking about also what I'm going to be investigating, hopefully, for next year, um, uh, for next year's ACS. And just kind of building upon this notion of developing our own cultures or, more importantly, how important our own native microbes are to the cheese that we're producing. Fantastic. As a follow-up to that, Sam, who is going to be your target audience to further what you're going to learn in your trip? Uh, as, as far as, like, who, who do I want to reach with yeah. what I'm... I mean, cheesemakers, cheesemakers yeah. and dairy farmers. Um, you know, I've talked to just a small handful at this point and about my idea and, and have had a mix of reviews. I mean, some people think it's you know, very important work that needs to be done and uh -huh. needs to be investigated. But, you know, there's also realistic individuals out there that say, you know, if you are trying to run a business, you know, it's all about numbers. And, you know, a Holstein cow and Jersey cows, like they, we know that they can produce milk and you can produce cheese from their milk. But a lot of, there's a lot of skepticism around these other traditional old world breeds that do not, produce sure. the insane similar insane volumes of milk so but the, but the truth is always somewhere closer to the middle do you know what i mean right like and, right. and you need to do the work you know right. what i mean uh, uh, these animals were around it's not like they became obsolete right you know exactly I mean? so, so 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 the truth's in the middle somewhere yeah and ideally you know there will be i will reach some dairy farmers and cheesemakers out there and we'll get them thinking about it and even if it's not you know converting your entire herd right away sure. to, to this one of these old breeds but you know just thinking more about agricultural biodiversity in general and having a more diversity among your animals genetics and trying to have different kinds of milk components in your herd so maybe it just means mixing up your herd or crossbreeding or you know i mean 
breed the the whole topic of breeds is a kind of a vague topic in general and so maybe we could even start to see new breeds being created over time and i've even heard of cheesemakers that are trying to develop their own breeds on their farms information is key and the thing yes. is that you're going to provide people with information to make an accurate choice about where they want to go with their animals that's the goal we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back and talk to these guys a little bit more Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track is called Dues Paid. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. We're talking with Tom Perry and Sam Frank about their Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award projects. Um, for the second part of the episode, I wanted to first ask Tom if he has any advice for Sam as he embarks on his project, or for any of our listeners who want to travel and learn about cheese or perhaps apply for this award. So it's funny that you say that you ask that, because I, I must have bombarded Sam with like three emails now about stuff that you should you know think about uh, or things that might go on while he's on his travels. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a novella, you could call it. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, what, one thing that I would always suggest, or, or, so if you're going to apply for ZVTA, which I encourage everybody that really wants to do this to do, but first thing that you're probably going to be away from home, work, your family for about a month. Um, Sounds great. Learning about cheese, <laughs> which, 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 is, which is awesome. But, I mean, it, 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 while I had some amazing experiences and I would never, never not do this, there were certain points where it was, like, really lonely. Um, and, and just kind of take that into account. Um, I also told Sam, you know, start saving now. Let, like, take 25 bucks out of your paycheck and, sure. you know, just put it in another bank account. 
and like have that accrue before you travel um because you know five thousand dollars is a great start but it may not necessarily cover everything um what else would i suggest start planning as soon as possible um the the thing that's unfortunately a little annoying about receiving the the award at the end of july is that all of the people that you want to like reach out to in europe are on vacation yes they are (laughs) (laughs) they all are i have no cheese coming in from europe exactly so so while you're rearing to go and, and you know just wanting to like get going as soon as possible they're on vacation and and it's kind of this radio silence sure. for about a month and then it's another month while they're catching up on those emails they missed over august um and but you know just also you know be prepared to have like have extreme jet lag because you're going to like sure. get in at, at i've never had jet lag as bad as i did on this trip because my schedule was altering so much i, I would you know, be up late one night, and then I'd have to be up at 4:30 the next day to uh, meet up at a, at a at a cheese dairy, and then yeah, I'd, their day starts know. early, man. You know, I mean that's. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're and then you're crossing multiple time zones, sure. and it, and also the language barrier. Be yeah. prepared to like start your Duolingo or Rosetta Stone learning now, um, and and you know, fortunately, the places I traveled, um, a lot of people spoke pretty good English, but there, there were a couple of times when I relied heavily on my high school French, and sure. I, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Um, but, you know, just... just, just you're talking like general road warrior esque, you know things. But Sam, you're you're a you're a veteran traveler, right? I mean, you know some of these things, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. That's good. That's good <laughs> advice. I mean, for anybody. I yeah. Mean, I, and I've done that. I've done that too. You know, the I've done the Europe lags where like. You know, it's it's not it's six a.m. somewhere, but yeah. it's not six a.m. in your mind. You yes. know what I mean? Luckily, <laughs> I, I've got a, I'm very adaptable to time zones. Yeah, I just need cool. one one sleep and I'm good to go. That's awesome. And I used to be that way many many years <laughs> ago. Now I need multiple sleeps per day just to make it through. <laughs> um, so both of your projects revolve around this idea, and you mentioned it before, of capturing the essence of terroir here in America. Tom through the microbiology of the milk and Sam through the breeds of dairy cattle used to produce that milk. Um, could you guys elaborate on the idea of terroir in the U.S. and what you envision the landscape of American cheese will be through the lens of terroir? Maybe, Sam, you can start us off on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, like I was saying before, there's there's been a lot of efforts, um, you know, as this industry has developed to be producing better quality milk, um, that is more of an expression of the landscape and, you know, rotating your cows on pasture and making seasonal cheese. Um, and I think, you know, the more the more people that are producing grass-based cheese, then the more, uh, the more our terroir is going to develop. Certainly. Um, and, you know, especially the United States is such a giant country that, you know, encapsulates every topography and climate – uh, you know, there's lots of different varieties of, of uh, pastures and non-pastures out there. You know, there's, sure. there's, you know, parts of the Southwest where it's, you know, it's kind of maybe similar to parts of Spain, uh, southern France, southern Italy that are a lot more arid, um, that are, you know, more more suited for different, ki- different animals, different kinds of cheeses. Um, 
so yeah, I just think the more that people are tailoring their cheeses to their landscape, uh, the more you know the American terroir will continue. And to America grow. is amazing like that. We have everything here. We have deserts. We have we have Arctic territories. You right. know what I mean? We've yeah. got, and we have literally everything in between. Yeah. So it's all there. Every type of grass, every type of animal, every type of human being somehow can exist here. So Exactly. Yeah, so the more we use our own stuff, the better off we can, you know, make an expression of our own landscape. Yeah. And and I also think that um you know, you I feel like in general, you see a lot with uh, um, new cheesemakers that they, they produce a lot of different varieties of cheese, um, which, again, I think, you know, from a business standpoint is you're trying to appeal to the widest audience possible. Certainly. So some people might like cheddar. Some people might like brie. Some people might like mozzarella. So you try to kind of do it all. Um, and it seems like you end up kind of trying to imitate a lot of these different European styles and not always well and not, not always well, sometimes very well, sometimes incredibly sometimes better well. than the original. Exactly. Um, but so I, what I think would be a really cool thing to see is if more cheesemakers kind of tried to hone in on their product lines. And so instead of creating all these different European styles to try to appeal to this very wide audience, like you know, develop your own style and stick with that and make that your, your brand and your product and your image. What do you think about that, Tom? Well, I mean, actually, what I was about to say, it dovetails perfectly with what Sam just said, because, you know, being Americans, we don't have a PDO. We don't have a system like that. We can do whatever we want. We have a cultural tradition that we're necessarily falling back on, like, the thing that is American terroir is our uniqueness, like, like the uniqueness that we have in all the different cheeses, the American originals. Like the closest thing that we probably do have to a PDO or a set style of cheese is cheddar. Sure. Uh, and and you know from you know Atlantic to Pacific, you, you've got your vast different styles of cheddar. Your 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 classic New England cheddar, your Wisconsin cheddar, and like your your, your West Coast cheddars, and they've all got their unique stamps. Um, and, and, you know, the way microbiology is, like, it's not like you're going to have, like, a general, you know, like, like you're not going to have this big cloud of, like, you know, uh, lactobacillus, like Helveticus or whatever, hanging over, and, like, that will influence the cheese make. No, like, literally every plot of land is going to have its own different microbial makeup. And, yeah. and that's what the ter- real terroir of American cheese is. is it, 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 it's, it's everything that we have, and there are new things that we can attain out of it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, and I and I agree with all that. I mean, I'm the end of the line, you know. I'm just a cheesemonger. I sell the cheese, um, and I just think that it's fantastic um, that you guys are doing this kind of work because – makes my job that much more better you know, much more easy and better to do you know what i mean and all the information that you have then flows downhill to me and uh, and i can be a better cheesemonger as a result of it cool stuff man as a final question uh both of you guys did the dzta 5k at the acs um i can't run anywhere unless someone's chasing me um and even then <laughs> um, even then i might not make it um, what was that experience like um i saw some pictures in social media social media and it looked like a great time what did you have, did you have a good time sam oh man it was it was a fantastic way to end the conference there was a lot of a lot of camaraderie you know i mean at this, yeah. this was the la- this was after the conference was over so you know, most people had fled Des Moines by that point. So the, we were like the the last stronghold of the American <laughs> Cheese Society Conference of 2016. That's and great. 
You know, everyone was there. You know, there was not any kind of competitive atmosphere at all. Everyone was just there to have a good time and there to support DZTA and to just kind of see each other off uh, in a positive atmosphere. Awesome. You had you had a good one, too. Obviously, you both made it. Yes, because so, uh, you're both oh, yeah. both crossed the finish line. <laughs> That's fucking great. Oh, that's great. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I finished in last with uh, Anthea Stoltz from uh, California Cheese Guild and uh, and Tamara Bacon, who's at Boxcar for the summer. So awesome. it, it was a nice it was a nice leisurely run for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show, and congratulations to both of you again. I'm looking forward to having you on again next year, Sam, to talk about your experience and travels. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to learn more about the Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award or you want to donate, visit DaphneZepposTeachingAward.org. Stay tuned next week for a recap of the American Cheese Society Conference featuring Best of Show winners with Diane Stemple. Take care. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.